How many of you guys are drivers? Who's a driver? Okay, who's a wannabe driver? Who does not want to drive ever? Terrifies you. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. What about my students? Do I have any student drivers? A few? We have a few. Okay. Uh, Eli. Um, can, I add, can I put you on the spot? Just you and me? All right. Eli's a smart kid. Okay. Eli, I want to ask you a question, and you don't have to stand up or do anything. I'm going to sit by you. Okay. We're just going to pretend it's just you and me. All right. Eli, right now, can you tell me how to go from here and get to Dave and Buster's? No? No. Okay, Eli, right now, can you tell me how to go from here and get to Amway Arena? No. All right, sorry. Um, this is not working so well. Eli, can we leave out of the parking lot right here and you tell me how to get to um, Publix? Yeah. You can? All right, how do we get to Publix? Uh, we would take a right, a right and then okay. keep driving along the road until we get to a bunch of cows. And then uh, take uh, another right there and then keep driving, and then there's Publix. Okay. Um, we're either at Publix or we're somewhere. I, I don't remember taking a right and seeing cows. Okay. So from here, we need to take a left, and we can see the cow. That's okay. That's all right. Eli, let me ask you this. Can you tell me how to leave this parking lot and get to your house? Yes. All right. Which way do we turn? We turn left, then right, then left, then right. All right. Does everybody know how to get to Eli's house? We good? We can get to Eli's house? Let's do it. Party at Eli's house. Okay. Listen, let me ask you this. Eli, I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Um, who knows how to get to Publix? Right now, you could leave here and get to Publix. Who knows how to tell me how to get to Publix? Okay. Who knows how to tell me how to get to Publix with the names of the streets? Okay, not too shabby. I think almost every one of us can find a Publix. You know why? Because we're Floridians, and we know where Publix is. That's the truth. We know where Publix is because we go to Publix. It's something we do regularly. If we don't go there, we drive by one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe seven between here and work. Publix is something that's all over because Publix is Florida. So... For those of you who know, like you know, know, know how to get to Publix, do we understand why you know how? That's a little deeper of a question. Do we understand why? Well, here, it's simple. Why? Because we go by there every day. It's something we do regularly. Even more simple, Eli can tell me how to get to his house. He was the most confident in getting home. That's good to know. It's good news. I think everybody in this room could tell us how to get to their house from right here. I sure hope so. You know why? Because you live there, and you go there all the time. Those are directions that you can give, and you don't need to turn on your GPS. You don't need to look it up because of the repetition. Today and for the next three weeks, we are still in this series of the three circles, and we have been repeating those three circles. If, you, if this is your first Sunday with us, you got a napkin, and you're like, what the heck do I have a napkin for in Sunday service. And, and here's why. Because we've been practicing this three-circle model, and, and it is how we can easily share the gospel. We can do this because of repetition. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start to review it, and as I kind of go through the steps, I want you guys to grab your napkins. Bill's going to help you and lead you along in the artistry, and then we're just going to draw on our napkins of how and what steps to take. 
Now, again, this is one of those things that we will do over and over again, like a Floridian going to Publix. And at some point, it will click, and you know it inside and out because of repetition. So here's the deal. This is a conversational, relational way to carry out Jesus' mission. It's very, very simple. First, the first week we talked about the top circle on the left. Does anybody remember the name of that circle? God's what? God's design. That's right. The first week we talked about God's design for our lives, which is evident from the very beginning. We, we reviewed how God created everything and how it was all good. Mankind is the pinnacle of his creation, and we were made for relationship with God and each other. God's design is for us to walk and talk with him just like Adam and Eve once did. That is God's design. However, dun, 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 Adam and Eve departed from God's design. They wanted to do it their way instead of God's way. And the Bible calls this what? The Bible calls that, that step of getting to brokenness is our sinfulness. It's our sin. Sin means that we fall short of God's glory. We are all sinners, and we all fall short of God's perfect design. And sin leads to the next circle, which is brokenness. We all can understand how brokenness feels. We've all been there. It feels like broken relationships. It feels like addiction, depression, discouragement, fear, guilt, and shame. We all want out of brokenness, so we try to fix it. We all want out of brokenness, so we try to fix it. You know what we all have in our garages, guys? A bunch of tools. You know why? Because we don't like broke stuff. We try to fix things. We want everything to be fixed and working, and that's, that's the way God designed us. There is an intention and a purpose to everything in this world. And brokenness reveals that. And we want to feel and, and see those things fixed, but we try to get out of it. And, and we see these little squiggly lines as we try to escape it. We medicate our brokenness with drugs. We numb it with alcohol. We strive to be better people, hoping that somehow, some way, our good will eventually outweigh our bad. We look for ways to alleviate our pain. And when we do that, we just get more and more broken. This feels like a bad thing, and we talked about it in detail last night. If you last week, if you missed the last couple messages, they're they're online. You can listen to the podcast, and we really got into brokenness and what that means. But but for a lot of us, it feels like a bad thing. But in many ways, brokenness is a good thing because brokenness is the way that God gets our attention. We see that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and brokenness reveals that to us. Brokenness makes that so obvious. We feel broken on the inside and everything is all messed up and we know that something has to change. And this is where we get some really, really good news. Something happens, man, and we get some great news. Who likes to hear good news? Okay, all you people raise your hand. Who likes to hear good <laughs> news? We all like good news. Bill, do you like good news? I love good news. That's great to hear. We have good news. We have some great news. I, my good news is my favorite. Obviously, everybody loves good news instead of bad news. Um, good news can be little and still be amazing, but the bigger that it is, the more impactful it is and the happier we are about it. Good news for me that I always think of is when I found out my wife was pregnant. It's like probably the best news I ever received. And just knowing the change that that was making for our lives and what that meant, it was just amazing. 
And sometimes it's when you get a promotion at work, you know, a raise, or kids do well in school, they get an A on the test they were worried about. We get these, these things that are good news, and they're, they're just great. We love them. But there's one piece of good news that just stands above everything else. I learned this good news as a kid in church. So, like, our new students, our sixth graders, one of them is mine. If she's not paying attention, go ahead and whack her. But as a kid in church, I learned that I had a need, and we talked about brokenness. And my favorite thing about this drawing is how those arrows are going away. There's no coming back. Like, your brokenness doesn't fix anything. Like Pastor Jay said, it, it just keeps going. It gets worse and worse. But the good news is God has made a way out of our brokenness. And we see this. We've been in in Genesis these last few weeks. We're in Genesis chapter 3. And we see that God sees Adam and Eve's brokenness. And he immediately says, I'm going to make a way out of that brokenness. So first we see in Genesis 3.15 that God promised there would be a man who would bruise the enemy's head. The verse says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this verse here is prophetic in nature because he's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Okay? And the key part of that um, statement is when he says your offspring and her offspring will have this, this wall between them, this, this separation. Um, and he shall crush your head. He. It doesn't say they as in humans. It doesn't say like us. It says he. There's this one person who's going to do this. And so God makes this promise that um, he would make a way out of our brokenness. And then for Adam and Eve, we see he sacrificed an animal. He shed its blood, and he took the skin of the animal and made clothes for them. We know this story, you know, they didn't realize they were not dressed. And so in their sin, they finally realized that, and they understood, and they hid themselves. And so God said, I have to make a way to fix that situation. I'm going to fix this brokenness. And he took this animal, shed the blood to pay for their sin, and gave them clothes to cover them. Uh, this, this verse here, it's the proto-evangelium, which is just a big fancy word that means first gospel. It's a compound word. In the Greek, it, it's proto, which is like when we hear the word prototype. It just means first. The prototype is like the first time you build something. So proto is first, and evangelium is good news, or what we would call the gospel. And so that's why we call it the first gospel. In, in this first instance of good news, God made the blood payment for sin through this animal that was sacrificed. And we know in the Jewish law, in the Old Testament, this sacrifice was something that they did to uh, get forgiveness of their sin from God. And they had to do it at prescribed times. The whole first five books of the Bible describe when they were to do all these different things. And there's hundreds of of rules and sacrifices. 
Um, but God knew, okay? He knew that he, he was going to make a one-time payment for sin. And so he made this temporary uh, sacrifice um, in the Old Testament leading up to when Christ would come. And he knew that was going to happen. And that was the promise that he made, that, that he would send someone who would crush the enemy's head. And so God loves us so much and sent his son to shed his blood to cover our sin once and for all. No more sacrifices, no more hiding from our brokenness. Uh, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. And so this is the good news that we all need more than anything. Okay, and what did I say was another word for good news? Anybody? Close. Evangelium means good news or gospel, yes. So when we say gospel, we're referring to the good news of Jesus who died for our sins and made a way for us to have eternal life with God. I think a lot of times we try to complicate the gospel. We try to complicate the good news. And, and the gospel is simple. The gospel is simply this. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. That's it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Okay, He says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures." Paul here is proclaiming the gospel, and, and there's a lot of things happening in Corinthians. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you want to study a book of the Bible and a church that's having some issues, look at Corinth. Look at those, that, that book of the Bible. And Paul is reminding them, listen up, I, I, I want to remind you guys, remember that gospel? Remember? Because a lot of times we, we try to complicate the gospel, and we try to make it more than what it is. And it's simply this, the death, burial, and resurrection. The core of the saving gospel of Christ is that the perfect, sinless Son of God came and lived on this earth. Then Christ died for our sins accordance with the Scripture. That's what it says. These Scriptures were written hundreds of years before Christ died. This was prophesied. This was a plan all along. This means that God had this plan, and if He didn't, we have no gospel. It's just a fluke of history. But it was all written down for us. It was written in the Old Testament hundreds of years before it happened. And Paul says, that's essential. After being dead for three days, God raised Christ from the dead. Both the death and the resurrection of Christ are crucial to the salvation message. If Christ had not died and risen, our faith would be pointless. So you see, the gospel is it's an application of what Jesus accomplished on the cross in our hearts when we believe. The gospel saves us from our sins. We just have to repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is simply 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And you've seen, you, we can write the word gospel in this circle, or we can write a little picture that represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We have to preach the whole gospel. It's not just that Christ died for us. It's that he died for us and defeated the grave and defeated death and overcame all those obstacles. That is the full gospel. And then when we believe the gospel, the Bible says we have to repent and believe. Many times, if you've been in church, we've heard the word repent. And maybe you've been in a church and you've heard the repent word in a way that's just really kind of abrasive. And maybe you've heard the word repent screamed at you. Maybe you've heard the word repent on the corner somewhere, on a sign somewhere. And maybe you've seen it somewhere and it just didn't sit well with you. Let me help you understand what the word repent and believe means. The Bible tells us that we are sinful creatures and we all understand what brokenness is and we all understand and, and can, can empathize with how we try to escape that. So, so when we're here, we all understand this. We're all on the same page. We're sinners. The Bible tells us that on our own, we're heading in a direction of death and destruction. That's where we're going. And the word repent is simply to start going one way. I'm heading towards death, and then I go the opposite direction. That's it. When we stop and turn from the path that we've been on, and we start turning towards the path that God has for us, and we believe in the gospel, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So forgiveness of sins was purchased once when Jesus died on the cross and applied now. All of your sins are forgiven when you repent and believe. All of your sins are forgiven. It's all done. It's all paid for because of the power of the gospel. Here's another thing that gets a little confusing. Sometimes we think that, that, that God came and condemns us. And, and we think we're condemned by, by Christ's coming, that, that that was our condemnation. And, and Jesus himself has this great conversation with a super smart guy in John chapter 3. You know verse 16, for God so loved the world. We, we're familiar with that one. But that verse is happening in a conversation with Nicodemus. And it's a wonderful and beautiful thing because there's some intellectual struggles that Nicodemus has with the whole process. And Jesus just unpacks it clearly for him. John 3, verse 17 Jesus is saying, for God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The point of Jesus coming isn't to condemn us. We see here at the top, we're condemned already. Our sin has separated us from God. And, and so in this beautiful exchange, we see why Jesus came, because we need a rescue. When God heals our brokenness with the gospel, that isn't the end of our experience with Jesus. Sometimes we think, this one time I asked Jesus to save me, and so it's just kind of it 
over like I did it checkbox right um God doesn't heal us and then leave us out on our own to try to kind of figure out our broken lives. God heals us of our brokenness. And the idea here is that the gospel then, we have the power to come back to God's design. And so he's making a way for us to get back to a life of that design that he originally had. So what we see is that God helps us recover and pursue. Recover and pursue. When we are able to be healed in a way that we can recover and pursue God's design in our lives, that's something to be incredibly excited about, but that's also that's just good news. God heals us in order to move us from our brokenness back to a life within his design. And how does he do that? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Bible says that this is God saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so those words, you know, this Old Testament, it kind of sounds sometimes a little different than how we might say it. But what he's saying there is that heart of stone. It's a heart that's not alive. It's just, it's stone, it's stuck how it is, and it's, it's dead. And God is going to remove that and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that blood pumps through, that is alive, that is part of our body. And he does that because... Only he can. When we repent and believe in the gospel, he does all of that for us. Our heart is made alive in Christ once again, the way that it was intended to be when God created humanity. The second thing is that he, it says there, his spirit indwells and empowers us. Okay, He fills us with his spirit. He lives within us. And that I've always just kind of wondered, like, how, how does that work? You know, when you're younger, you're first saved, you're in church. Uh, the, how does the Holy Spirit live within us? Well, the Bible shares with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 some verses that explain this. Because God is restoring us to how we were supposed to be. The word that the Bible is going to use here is reconcile. It's actually more of like an accounting term. And you, you check your positives and negatives to make sure everything adds up. Paul was very uh, deliberate when he says things like this. And so in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So there's a, a ton going on there. I'm breaking it down super fast. We are new creations when we believe in Christ. God reconciles each of us to himself through Christ. And he doesn't count our sin against us. He forgives it all. 
when we repent and believe in the gospel, God also entrusts us with the message of the gospel of, and reconciliation. He entrusts that to us. Entrust is a word that I'm struggling with personally because I have a kid who wants to drive. I have a kid who wants to go out and do all the things, you know, like an adult who's also still 15. And I know the student section's looking at me like, 15's old enough to do everything, but you guys, you're just wrong. Um, but he pushes that, and so I entrust things to him. I entrust my vehicle to him. I entrust himself to him because I let him go place like you know he's going out he's on the football field that's you know risky but just all these things that he wants to do I'm entrusting that to him that idea of entrusting is what God is doing to us when we repent and believe the gospel and we're able to recover and pursue God's design for our lives he entrusts us with the gospel to be able to take it and share that message with other people and to bring other people towards Christ so that God can reconcile them as well. The passage continues in chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And for our sake, he made Christ to be sin who had no sin. And so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So like I was saying, we're the ambassadors to a broken world. God works through us to appeal to sinners with his message of reconciliation. There might be someone here this morning, and you're hearing this, this good news we're talking about, but you've, you know you've never believed it. You, you know, you could probably repeat it. You could draw this because you've been here a couple times. But you've never repented and asked for forgiveness. Our message today is the same as Paul in verse 20. I would implore you to be reconciled to God. This brokenness circle over here is it. That's death. That's, that's, that's it. The Bible tells us that there's nothing else besides that. It's a life and an eternity separated from God. And so that word implore is so strong because we would plead with you to understand God made Jesus, who was perfect, sitting at the right hand of God, who had no sin. He came to live a sinless life and then took all of our sin and put it on Jesus so that we might be able to believe in him. And even though we're full of that sin, he will take it away and make us sinless the way that Jesus was sinless. It's incredible. But because he's done all of that and allowed us the opportunity to believe in this gospel, he's entrusted us now with that message so that we can share that good news with people we know who need to hear that good news so that they can repent and believe the gospel and then recover and pursue God's design for their lives. That's the big point of this whole series. That's why this emphasis is happening in our church right now. Because we have a group here who we've all been broken. Some of us have repented and believed in the gospel so that we can recover and pursue God's design. Remember, God's design originally was perfection. So we're not perfect. We're recovering and we're trying to pursue that. But we're not perfect. So this isn't a perfect church. 
We're not perfect leaders, pastors, teachers, whatever, but we're pursuing God. And that's why we want people to see where they're at on this and go, I'm broken. Um, I need to fix this so that I can get back to what God has for my life. And when we are able to do that, we're completing the mission that God has for the church. And it's a big mission. Our world out here is so just full of brokenness. There's so much brokenness. And there's so many people who need the good news that we're talking about today. We want every single resident of our community to get this. This town, our, our city of Orlando, we want to have repeated opportunities for these people to hear and respond to the gospel. And, and, it's, and it's not that, let me, let me just make this really, like, really clear. Okay, and I think this is something that I personally have misunderstood for so many years, and, and I love the way that the three circles simplifies it all, because it's not like you have to knock on every door in your neighborhood and take them through the Romans road and all the Bible verses and share with them every step that they're a sinner, that they need Jesus, that they need to, to pray and repent, and it needs to happen now. While that is necessary in their heart and life, that's not necessarily the most effective way for us to do that. So how does it work? What does it look like? And this is what I love about the three circles, because the three circles is a lens that we can view every single aspect of our lives through. It's a, it's a lens that we see everything through. When we see the three circle model, we can see how we interact with our children here. When something happens in our home or in our jobs, we can see and call that out as brokenness. We can call that out as sin. We can call that out as, as our squiggly ways trying to escape our brokenness. We can see all these little different dynamics and nuances in our life when, when we think about it like this. And then when Pastor Robert speaks and, and you hear the message and, and we think through, what is the gospel application? How does the gospel fit into me and my life right now? I want you to visualize this circle because it, it, it comes somewhere on here. It's always here. And so it's that we, we view our entire lives through this lens of the gospel, through God's design, our sin, the brokenness we find ourselves in, the need to repent and believe in what Jesus did for us in that death, burial, and res resurrection, and how from there we can recover and pursue back God's design. It's everything. Our parenting, our finances, our work. And see, when we view the gospel when we view the whole picture in this this lens and, and we make you write it out every week it, it's going to be so much more natural and easy for you it's like telling someone how to get to Publix we all know how to do it why because we regularly do it we think about it it happens it's something in our day-to-day -day life this model understanding this we need to think about it it needs to be something that happens every day in our regular lives because we're going to sit down tomorrow morning with our kids at the breakfast table and we're going to get a good dose of this we're going to see this firsthand today this may be you at the table it's probably going to be me we're all going to have this happen and it's going to lead to this see what i'm saying and, and a frustrating conversation in our homes we can look at it through this and then we can be humbled and we can ask for God's forgiveness and we can ask for God to give us the power to recover and pursue his design for our family. We can see every little thing in our world through this lens, through this, these three circles, because everything fits there. 
And when we do it over and over and over again, like this practice right now, we start to see that pattern. We start to recognize it. And it becomes natural. God has given us a mission, church. And I want us to understand and be on that mission. And I want you to know and have the tools to be able to just point somebody to the gospel. When, when, you, when you're in a situation, when there's an everyday conversation, how you can simply turn that into a gospel conversation because you understand this process. You see it played out in your life every day. It's like driving to Publix. It happens all the time. And when it's regular and recurring and familiar, then that light bulb's going to go off when your neighbor says something drastic happened. My sister has cancer. My husband just lost his job. My nephew passed away in a car accident. That brokenness is everywhere around us. And we feel like in the moment it's a bad thing. But what did we say last week? Sometimes it's a good thing because that's how God can get our attention. There is brokenness everywhere we look. And if we will be ready to turn those conversations into gospel conversations, beautiful and wonderful and powerful things happen because of the gospel. Will we choose to repent and believe the gospel? Maybe it's not for you that, that you're, you're trying to memorize this and share Christ with other people. Maybe you're, you haven't even done it yourself. This is a thing that has not happened. This is, there has been no point in your life where you have honestly repented and believed in who Jesus is and what he did for you. And you've been sitting through this series sweating bullets. That's all right. That's a discussion. That's a conversation. That is you and God, and the Holy Spirit may be working on you, and may be speaking to you, may be getting your attention, and this has been really, really uncomfortable these last few weeks in church. That's a good thing. I want you to have the courage and boldness to check your, your card, to, to say something to myself, to Bill, to Pastor Robert, to Gary, to say, I need to have a conversation with you, like, today. I'm done. I sweated out last week, it was miserable thinking about it. I thought about it every day. I couldn't sleep at night. I need to talk. We would love to take you through and show you how you can repent and believe in the gospel and start that path to pursuit and recovery. Will we choose to help others find their way out of brokenness? Will we be on that mission, Bethel? We're going to give you some great opportunities over these next few weeks. It's going to be very simple. Will you be on that mission with us? Let's pray together.